You're listening to Boston Strongcast, a place where we talk all things powerlifting, strength, and the occasional scientific nerd session. I'm your host, Kevin Can, the owner of Precision Powerlifting Systems, strength coach and competitive powerlifter in the USAPL. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get stronger together. Hey guys, this is Kevin Can with Boston Strongcast. Um, I'm joined with a couple guests today, both of which take part in a lesser strength sport nowadays, but uh, I'm joined by Josh Gibson's going to help me with this interview because our guest, Caleb Williams, actually has a powerlifting and a weightlifting background. So Josh is going to help out with some of the weightlifting stuff to ask questions about the training in terms of um, the stuff Caleb's been doing recently. But I what people might not know is Caleb was a very elite power lifter and he's a very elite weightlifter. And I, I can only literally think of maybe one other person that's been in that same category. So it's a very unique <laughs> perspective he's going to bring on the strength sports themselves, but uh, I'll kick it over to you, Caleb, and maybe give a little, just like background of when you started lifting, how you got into powerlifting, and then the negative life choices you made to get into weightlifting later on. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll have to go way back to start, I guess. Um, but, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on today. Looking forward to being a part of this and, uh, sharing what I may or may not know and, uh, just having a good time, just shooting the shit with you guys. So, um, yeah, started, um, getting into powerlifting. I was young, uh, got an early start. I did my first competition when I was 12 years old. Um, so I had a, um, football coach of mine, Brian Shrovia and his dad, now <clears throat> we were just training for football at the time. He asked me if I ever thought about doing a powerlifting competition, I asked him what the heck powerlifting was, and um, and yeah, he he competed himself and just kind of got me started. Took me to my first competition and just kind of got hooked from there. So him and his dad um, kind of got me my start. Spent a long time training with them um, through football and just getting more involved in the sport. Um, started to travel a little bit and uh, and get stronger and get to some larger competitions. And um, eventually, uh, we were competing in Philadelphia, got hooked up with Sherman Ledford there, uh, became a part of Team Quest. Um, Powerlifting-wise, competed for about 12 years and then decided to retire and start weightlifting. So um, a big goal of mine is always just have an opportunity to compete in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And power, powerlifting, unfortunately, is not there. And so just being be able to have that opportunity, uh, decided to make the switch and there's a, there's a big weightlifting um, community around the Atlanta area. So I had some great opportunities uh, with John Coffey and then some other coaches around the country that kind of got me started and helped me out. We can kind of dig into some of that stuff as we talk. But um, but then I've had the opportunity to compete in weightlifting for you know, about 10, 11 years after that. So and there are two questions I always have for someone who's reached such a high level. And they're normally, what did you hit the first time you did, say, a squat bench and a deadlift? And then where did you peak out at? And what were kind of your best numbers later in your career? Yeah. Um, so I did, I, like I said, in my first competition, I was 12 years old. <clears throat> um, I don't remember exactly what I weighed, but I know I was in the 114 pound class at the time. Um, that first competition, I squatted. 335. I benched either 185 or 201. I I did one of those my first and second competition. I don't remember which one was the first. Um, Then deadlifted 355. Mm. Um, And then I actually did my best, a lot of my best numbers in my last competition ever. Um, I believe I still had some in the tank and had some room to grow. Uh, But I I finished out the Norway IPF Worlds in 2006 uh, was my last competition. 
Um, I did my best squat at that competition was 722 um, in the 148 pound class, 675 um, kilos. And I think I only benched 450 there. I did 474 at nationals earlier that year. Um, and then my best competition deadlift was 600. And uh, what place did you come in at that IPF Worlds? Second behind Oleg. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. So um, one of the things that – so your name gets brought up a lot when I talk to Jeremy Hartman. and <laughs> Yeah, there's only a couple people that still remember you. I've been a long time, so Jeremy's been around a long time too. He's a great guy. Oh, yeah, no, J- Jeremy's my boy, and uh, he definitely has a man crush on you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> It's one a haircut, the, man. It's a haircut. <laughs> one of the uh, things that he said about you is he had said that he thought he had worked hard, but you were next level up in terms of like working hard in the gym and like getting shit done basically and having like that right attitude and doing the right things and stuff. So like, I'd like you to kind of maybe discuss like that component of training. Like maybe there had to be probably somebody in your life that kind of gave you that work ethic and like how important that work ethic and that attitude was for you to be able to get the high levels of success you've had in both powerlifting and weightlifting. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just really kind of how we were raised. Um, and just kind of what we're born with is, you know, my family, we just focus on something, work hard, set goals and get it done. Um, you know, training wise, when you're training and competing, you're obviously you're competing against other people, but training wise, I've really just kind of tried to shut all that out and focus on yourself and making yourself better, pushing yourself harder every day. And when I did that, I hit my best numbers in competition. I was able to focus in training more, um, able to make progress and just kind of shut out all the other noise and focus on only the things that you can control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and get, taking that, the, that, that coach I mentioned, Brian Shrovey, when I got started, um, I've been blessed to have great people in my life that have expected the most out of me, um, pushed me to new levels in different aspects of training, competing in life, you know. Um, and so, you know, my family, my dad, um, you know, ingraining that in me at an early age and then having him coach me and take that to a new level. And his dad really um, pushed me hard, uh, Bob Shrovia. And uh, they expected a lot out of me. Um, I guess they saw um, yeah, that I had, that had potential early and, uh, and kind of set that in me that you need to step it up and take it to the next level and put more in than the next guy is going to. And, yeah, I've always told other people and I've always thought it in my mind. And yeah, no matter what you think you're doing, we all train in our own little gyms and our own little worlds. And we you know, have our community of people that support us. You know, and eventually, if you keep progressing, you're going to be the biggest fish in that little pond. Mm. But there's somebody else in the world pushing himself harder than you. So maybe it might be somebody that nobody's heard of yet. There's somebody who wants what you have and wants to take it from you. And you got to remember that and push yourself harder than that other person is every single day. You might Mm. not be around him. You might not even know his name. You might not see him for five years from now. But there's somebody working harder than you are somewhere in the world today. So you better put in the work. (laughs) I love that. And that's something that like, I've been around elite athletes my entire life, like some that have collected paychecks to play a sport. And that's what they say all the time, right? Like you think you're working hard, but there's somebody that's always working harder. So, you know, we're in the holidays now. So like being home from school, it's like, hit your push-ups, hit your sit-ups, do the stuff, like go for your runs. Don't just let even that week slack off because there's, you know, I, uh, I played soccer in college and 
one of the things, you know, I wanted to start as a freshman. So it was like one of those, like these kids have four years on top of me doing this stuff. I need to, I need to make up some lost ground. So it was always like that motivation, but you're right. You get to a certain level and you get complacent at times and like having somebody check you, check your attitude and hold you accountable and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know of anybody who can get to those higher levels by themselves. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be, you know, another power lifter or somebody playing the same sports, just somebody being like, you know, you got to get off your fucking ass and you got to, you got to put in the work to do what you want to do. One of my favorite videos ever is, uh, I don't know if you guys follow like college wrestling at all, but like Terry brands, there was a um, documentary like a little hour long documentary and he had lost in the Olympic trials and he goes to his hotel room and his, his dad walks in the first words he says to him are, you got to figure it out. Mm. And like, to me, that is just like, that's it right there. Like you're going to run into walls constantly. If you do this long enough, like Caleb, you've been in the strength sports for 24 years or something. Like when I was trying to do the math, 20 something years, you're going to come into these walls and a big part of being successful and sticking with it long-term is you got to figure it out. Um, And I think you kind of hit that on the head, but you know, maybe you could kind of discuss some of the uh, ups and downs of training, some of the changes you made, maybe some of the philosophies, not like breaking down 12 years of programming or anything (laughs) like that, but just like a, uh, like a general, kind of like rules to fall. So like the majority of power lifters, right? Me and Josh were kind of talking about this before is you get a short shelf life, right? A lot of them don't even stick around for five years. And I think a big part of that is the frustration that they get all of a sudden those beginner gains stop wearing out. And you actually got to do a, a hell of a lot of work to maybe put on five pounds on a freaking total sometimes. Oh yeah. Um, and maybe you could just kind of touch upon like that mindset, that philosophy and like, just like training in general and sticking with it and figuring it out. Yeah. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And you know, just like you just talked about is working through those points. It's not all sunshines and rainbows. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know, people get into this sport, any, any strength sport and you start training and your first few months, your first six months, first year, maybe your first two years, you know, you've got just making progress. You're getting stronger. You know, your body doesn't hurt. You don't have a whole lot of, of just adversity in your training, but then all of a sudden you start you know, hitting some of that once you get this first year or two under, under your belt. And we see people, you know, not just strength sports, but athletics, you know, all, all areas of where you're trying to improve yourself, uh, whether it's on, the, on, you know, on the baseball diamond, on the football field, you know, in powerlifting, in weightlifting, <clears throat> whatever the case may be, you, know, you when you first get past, like you said, those beginner gains, you're going to start hitting some points where you're going to have some pushback. It could be in the form of injuries, you know, just aches and pains. Maybe you're just, like you said, you're, you're, you're trying to push for just five more pounds and you can't seem to put five more pounds on your total, you know, whatever that may be. Um, and when you hit that point, that's where a lot of people falter. Yeah. They start jumping to the new training program or, you know, doing what's hot or trying to find the next supplement. Um, or just, you know, maybe I, I'm, I'm, my body's starting to hurt. I need to take, you know, t- I need to take two weeks off or, you know, whatever that case may be, everybody starts searching for the answer, but yeah, the answer is not what they want to hear. They're looking for the magic pill of how can I just push myself and, you know, how do I, how do I just magically add another 50 pounds this next six months? Like I did the previous six months. Yeah. Um, but the answer is just consistency. And that's the hardest thing to do is when you just mentally you're beat down, you, maybe your body starts to hurt a little bit cause you're starting to add some more weight. You're adding volume into your training. 
that kind of thing. The last thing that people want to do is show up and put the work in, but that's where the difference is made. Um, we have this conversation all the time. We work with a lot of athletes and, um, yeah, and the difference is made when you show up for these next six months when that other person doesn't want to. And, and a lot of people will either hit that point and then back off and then they start picking it back up and hit that point again. And then they back off and they just continue this cycle of never being able to break through that next level mm. because they won't push themselves to that next level. Um, or people just find something else to do. You know, they're like, man, power thing sucks. Cause this is hard. You know, it was fun for a year, but now it's not hard. I'm not getting any stronger. I'm gonna go try something else. You know? Um, so that's what we see is either you, know, you hit that one to two year mark and you either start falling off. Um, or you just keep banging your head against that same level because you won't put the work in that it takes to get to that next level. Um, or option three, you start, you keep showing up every day after day after day after day and putting the work in, and eventually you push through. And on the other side of that point is where the good things happen. Mm. So a, you bring up a really good point about when people start banging their heads up against the wall. Because they'll, they'll push hard, pull back, push hard, pull back, push hard, pull back. So they don't have that consistency that you were talking about of like pushing hard, pushing hard. It becomes a dog chasing its tail. Yeah. So you end up like accumulating a certain amount of stimulus and maybe performance level that you never really get to display because you don't, you don't taper, you don't have, you don't have a competition or something like that to do it, whatever the, the case may be. But then you'll go a few weeks where you really just don't keep the pedal down and mm. keep bringing that same attention and focus and attitude into the training session. So it's this, and I, I can relate. So like, even after college, like when I did the MMA stuff for a while, it would be like, I could, I could put myself in this position that I could just push hard for a period of time, whether it's six months, whether it's a year or something like that. But then something would always come up. Maybe a girl comes into the picture or your friends are starting to like, Hey, let's go do this. Let's go do that. And it gets very easy to get drawn into some of those other things. But the ones who ended up being very successful and doing that sport at the highest of levels, they strung together years of doing that, of being able to push at those levels and not in sacrificing some of those other things, right? Like not going out with their friends, not, not letting the girls that come into the picture kind of like pull them away from it or like some of the other things that I was allowing to kind of infiltrate my life. And I think, especially in powerlifting, because I think we get a lot of athletes in their 20s that are starting competitive sports. Like they have this idea that they can just be a world champion powerlifter because they saw somebody on the internet do it in three years. Oh, yeah. So they run into these like scenarios of they really don't understand what it takes to be competitive in any sport. They're starting new in their 20s. And then it, I think it just becomes this very like frustrating endeavor for a lot of people. And like one of the things for me as a coach that I think is extremely important is for me to instill values in them. It's not necessarily like, hey, you got to hit these sets and reps. Of course, the program's important, but it's the perseverance. It's the accountability. It's the consistency it's the effort and it's the being smart and focusing on the fundamentals and stuff like that, that I feel are um, some of the more important aspects, especially cause like, so when I was talking to, I had Jason Beck on the podcast uh, last week when I was talking oh, cool. to him. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, no, he, he was great. And he made a really good point. He's like at nationals, he's like a few people are 
in my weight class, they're five, eight with shoes on at worlds. Everybody's five, eight with shoes on. So nobody's goal, <laughs> nobody's goal should be to be a world champion should be just be five pounds better than, than you were the last time. Um, and I think that's like a great perspective on just like overall, um, life in general, man, like these, the strength sports, that's like one of the biggest, like sports in general can just teach you some like life skills that can go a, a really long way to making you better at your job, a better, better with your family, just a better human being and all. Um, and I would imagine that weightlifting in general is even more frustrating than, um, powerlifting. And I'll, I'll kick it to you, Josh, since you've been listening for a while here about maybe some of the, like dealing with the technical components of the, of the lifts and weightlifting and uh, the frustrations of the sport. And then uh, whatever questions you have for Caleb in that realm. Yeah, that's actually what I was about to ask. I was curious, you know, for Caleb, someone who spent so much of, you know, your time uh, powerlifting uh, and then spent, you know, equally amount of time or a similar amount of time weightlifting. I feel like it's two different mindsets in that, you know, you can just train the weightlifting movements harder and that you can you can handle more volume. You can take more reps. You can do more sets and it's just not going to beat you up quite as much. And granted. I'm not at a high level at all. So when I say this, it's like me cleaning or, or snatching, you know, 80% of Caleb's best. So when you start handling those, like if for people who speak in pounds, like 365, 75, 385 pound cleaning jerks, it, it probably does a lot more and there's a lot more recovery costs from that. But the training is different, right? You can't max out your squat and go balls to the wall multiple times a week. But, but with the weightlifting movements, you seemingly can, if, if things are balanced properly. Um, so I'm kind of wondering how you took, you know, your mindset from powerlifting where it's like, I won't be outworked. I'm just going to keep, keep kind of grinding away over and over. And did that end up changing when you transitioned to, uh, to, to weightlifting with the, with different movements, um, seemingly like different needs in that you had to be strong, but you had to be strong and, and use that strength very, very quickly and precisely. Uh, what were the two different demands of the sport? And, and was it a, a seamless transition or was it kind of rough at first? Yeah, um, a lot of questions. So um, I kind of start at the beginning. And, uh, you know, I had a strong strength base coming into weightlifting. So it, it helped me and hurt me all at the same time. Um, yeah, I was able, I did my, I trained for, um, retired piloting and then went over to John coffee, who was like 45 minutes from where I live. Um, started training with him and, um, uh, and you know, he's, he, he's great. There's some really awesome people at that gym. Um, and then, um, I, Kelly, who is now my wife met her there and she did a lot really digging in and, and refining my technique. But because I was strong, I was able to cut some corners starting out. Um, so I did my first competition after like a month and, um, I was, I think I snatched one Oh five, a clean and jerk, like one twenty seven or something like that. Um, yeah, not stellar numbers at all, but I'd only been lift, you know, snatching a clean and jerk for a month, uh, right after the world championships and powerlifting. But yeah, I was able to make quick progress, but then I hit a point like we just talked about where I had to step back and start over and do it the right way. You know, mm -hmm. so I just wanted to get stronger, stronger, stronger. And then I had to restart and just break my technique down completely. Um, and Kelly was a huge part of that, of just starting with the foundations and building back up. So I knew that if I didn't do that, my ceiling was going to be lower long term mm -hmm. than what it would be if I started over and learned the technique and refined the technique. Um, and, and, uh, really taking the time to build that into my training. So, um, so early on and, 
you know, for a while, um, it really took about five years before I felt like I had mastered how to snatch. Mm. Um, you know, that was snatching, you know, at least three times a week, um, you know, putting work in day after day. And, uh, it just takes a lot of reps and a lot of time before I felt like I understood it to where I wanted to be able to really be with my technique, to be able to maximize what I had, you know, mm-hmm. um, training wise, uh, John, John Coffey, you know, I, he, he took my training starting off and Kelly and just ran with it. I've always powerlifting and weightlifting have tried to learn everything I could from everybody I could. Yeah. I've always tried to keep an open mind and say, no, no, no matter who you interact with, I can learn somebody from this person. Um, so trying to learn from everybody talking to a competition to go to nationals and just dig, dig, pick people's brains. Um, yeah, and the awesome thing about weight thing and power thing is that people are just willing to share. You know, I mean, you can you can sit down with somebody. It doesn't matter how big a name they are, or how small a name they are. People are just willing to sit down and just open up. You know, there's no big secrets, and and uh, yeah, people are just amazing that way um, in the, in this community. You know, that you guys know that you talk to them all the time. <laughs> um, so you know, just being being willing to just people just share their insight and just trying to learn as much as I could. Um, and um, so John Coffey helped a lot starting out. Glenn Penley, you know, mm-hmm. had a had a big part um, for a while there. And then uh, both Kelly and I ended up with Zygmunt Smalkritz, mm-hmm. um, who was the head coach out of the training center. And uh, yeah, he was the reason both of us were able to compete in weightlifting for so long. Um, and you know, his training methodologies really kind of resonated with me and Kelly, uh, but kind of mirrored what I had done in powerlifting and had a huge impact in my weightlifting, just in my strength, my technique and longevity. Um, without him, I think I probably would have been like five years shorter, um, in weightlifting just, you know, had just been kind of stuck at the same numbers, frustrated in some of those aspects. Um, and, uh, Zygma just kind of refreshed that and, a new mindset in training, a new approach to technique. And, uh, man, he was, he was amazing. Um, so working him with him for those last five or six years, uh, was, was a, just a game changer for us. And looking back on your powerlifting career and what you were able to accomplish when you switched sports and, and then spending all of those years kind of developing a different approach to training, given the demands of, of weightlifting, is there anything you would have done differently in powerlifting to, to try and reach a different peak or just to, to maybe, you know, avoid some of the, the, uh, some of the injuries or, you know, just get more out of what you put into it, you know, given what you know now? Yeah. Um, That's a good question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, thinking back and yeah, I probably would have taken a little bit better care of my body and just, just, you know, more recovery, uh, more stretching, yeah, that kind of thing. I was blessed to not really have any major injuries um, through my, pretty much my entire powerlifting career. Um, So, yeah, as far as injury prevention goes, yeah, I was definitely lucky and blessed in that aspect. I probably would have spent more time um, doing recovery and then probably some more accessory work too. Mm-hmm. Um, and just strengthening up all the little things. Yeah, I, I did, you know, kind of a couple of different phases through my powerlifting career, some of them more um, 
<clears throat> focused on accessory. I've done everything from, you know, just traditional periodization, West side, made everything you can think of trained with Sherman, um, led for a quest for a long time. And I mean, just, that was a game changer for me. And then, um, kind of finished up and just kind of followed the, um, like a Russian, like Chico model, mm-hmm. um, really probably like my last four or five years competing. And, uh, yeah, I didn't spend a whole lot of time doing accessory work and spent so much time doing lifts. Um, <laughs> I was tired and, and, uh, didn't put a lot of effort into that, but I think if I would have done that, um, as well as took a little bit better care of my body that, uh, probably could have maximized uh, what I had a little bit even more. So you, you had brought up, so I was actually, um, so I was the first three years in powerlifting. I was coached by Shaco. Nice. Like that was my background into this whole thing and how I got started and kind of like all I had known in the beginning. Um, so, you know, he had a lot of variations in his lift, but the accessories made up a very, very small portion of the, um, program in general. So of course, like over time, we've kind of changed the way we, we do things. And I have found the accessories to be a lot of, of great benefit. And I think if you want a higher peak, like you were saying, like those accessories become more and more important. Like those Russians had 10 years of building up their EPP before they started doing programs like that. And here, we just hope somebody get a freaking high school sport before they start lifting weights. But you had said in your last five to six years, when you were with your last coach in weightlifting, that it brought you back to kind of some of the same things from your earlier powerlifting days. And I, I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate on that. Like, was it the technique stuff or more focus on accessories, recovery, that type of stuff? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, just touching real quick on like uh, you, you, uh, you trained with Chico. Um, but thinking like taking that and yeah, I did that at the end of my powerlifting career where I had already put in a long time of building that foundation. So like you said, I don't think that taking that approach starting out would be real beneficial. I think you would miss some steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of translating that <clears throat> to, uh, where, how we trained with Zygmunt. Um, yeah, he trained a lot of athletes in the U S and everybody, you know, there's, everybody performed differently, um, under him, just like I do under any coach. But, mm-hmm. uh, for us, just his mindset, um, and his methodologies kind of mirrored. I mean, obviously he came from Poland. Um, so, you know, that whole just kind of Eastern Bloc training, um, mindset approach to, um, volume and technique work and consistency. I mean, just really mirrored a lot um, of the work that, we put in um, when I was powerlifting, and uh, I mean the you know, high percentage combined with high volume um, doesn't work for anybody by any means. Um, but at that point in my career, with the foundation that I had built up to that point, it really worked really well for me. Um, yeah, my body and my mind were both prepared for that at that point in time, um, and brought back just you know mirrored a lot of, like I said, this, the Chico and, um, there's a lot of similarities between what I did with Zygmunt and what I did in powerlifting. Mm. Um, so for me personally, it worked really well, um, had great results and yeah, I was able to stay relatively healthy under that as well. One of the uh, things with Shaco is he believes technique is the most important aspect. Like obviously he had the weightlifting background, had somebody put up a good total and that's kind of how we get into powerlifting. Um, so like even a lot of his variations and stuff were like, you know, you're pausing and stopping at certain 
places in the lift where you're missing it. It's very like weightlifting esque in a lot of in a lot of uh, senses. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I was wondering if you could maybe touch upon like the importance of technique, even in powerlifting, because I think oftentimes this gets overlooked. Oh, without a doubt. Where people don't necessarily put a, enough emphasis on technique, and it just becomes volumes and intensities, um, which you kind of touched upon a little bit. So maybe if you could kind of go into a little bit more detail there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, what I always tell people is that practice doesn't make perfect. Practice mm-hmm. builds bad habits. Perfect mm-hmm. practice makes perfect. So if you're doing the incorrect thing time over time over time over time. You're just building bad habits. You're building, um, you know, imbalances. You're gonna end up getting hurt. You're gonna put a low ceiling on yourself long term. Um, so, I mean, if you compare, just you know, in general, people will compare a squat to a snatch, right? A snatch is gonna be more technical, but that doesn't mean that it has to be any less or more technical than a squat if you approach it the right way and think about all the intricacies that go into a properly performed squat at a high weight. I think a lot of people, like you said, overlook those things. And I mean, everything from your setup, you know, how you're putting the bar on your back, how you're breathing before you pick the bar up out of the rack, how you're, how you're setting your feet, walking the bar out. I mean, every single part of that, you can break down and improve. And every single part of that lift that you improve is going to make your lift better. You're going to be able to lift more, stay healthier long term. And like you said, I think a lot of people overlook the little parts of that. They just want to go ahead and just bang out a bunch of volume at a high intensity because it looks cool. It's fun to do. You know, everybody likes lifting heavy weights. Um, you know, it's fun to post on Instagram about how many sets and reps you did at whatever weight. And, uh, and so, yeah, I do think that the technical aspects of the power lifts do get overlooked a lot. Mm. So one of the things too, with the Russian program, you look at it, so they have like their classification charts and recommended volumes and stuff. And like Shaco had kind of determined which, based off of the classification he had his own like set of you know it's the 70 percent average intensity plus x amount of number of lifts based off of your your classification when you look at a lot of these like current powerlifting programs that are out there so one of the like big complaints you hear from other countries about american programs is they seem to be mass produced mm. so you throw, you throw rps on there to determine loads um so it kind of takes the emphasis away from the coach in terms of putting the right load on the bar at the right times for the lifter and stuff. And when you look at some of the volumes that some of these lifters are doing early in their lifting careers, when they would be classified in a Soviet system as a very lower class, lower skilled lifter, and their volumes are up where maybe like a master of sport or candidate master of sport in uh, Russia would be. Um, Maybe you could kind of touch upon because you had mentioned the accessories and how you wish you had done more and mm. stuff. And I, I, I think that problem in the strength sports has gotten worse over time where there's less of an emphasis on building a base. And I've even like fallen in that mm. trap at times where it's like, oh, yeah, we can just lift more. <laughs> um, but like getting away from like really building that base. And like one of the things that I really like about like the Soviet system is they really stabilize weight. So there's something to repeating the same things over and over again, creating greater efficiency, greater execution as they become easier, you know, then you can gradually that whole step loading process that they have there and like their patience, right. Which before we started recording, Josh was saying, so Josh had worked with Glenn Penley as well. And he was saying that Glenn was like, we get these people for a very short amount of time. So like they might only have five years. So maybe some sprint methods, like, dumping stuff on them for programs to achieve a high total in a very short amount of time sure. may be appropriate, but that might be for like one out of every 10,000 people in this sport that that's mm-hmm. appropriate for. So maybe you could just right. go into a little bit more detail about that type of stuff. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of it really boils down to our culture as a whole. Mm. Um, I mean, no, nobody wants to put the work in. Um, and it, it's, it's rare to come across a young athlete now that is willing to be patient, trust the process and put the work in day after day after day after day and doing that repetition and building that base that'll set them up five years from now to have a much more successful career. But that might mean that they sacrifice some of that weight this year. You know what I mean? Um, so I think just our culture built on, you know, just flash fry everything. I want to get everything I can as fast as possible with putting in the minimum amount of work. Mm. You know, that doesn't translate to a successful career in anything, but especially in a strength sport where it's built on, you know, building up a base of consistent technique mm-hmm. of repetition after repetition after repetition done the proper way, building up tendon ligament strength over time, you know, just building up a training density that will result in a much higher total down the road. But that means that you're sacrificing things now, thinking five years from now, not not thinking one week from now when you want to try to max out again when you just maxed out three days ago because you want to try to add five more pounds to your bench press. You know, it's you know, our culture just as a whole, I don't think, puts that much emphasis on um, anything, really. Um, so, you know, just our mindset, like you said, they, 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 a lot of the international um, coaches think that we mass-produce programs, and I think – Part of that is true, and a lot of it boils down to our approach to life in general and how we want to just you know, mass produce a whole bunch of different things and streamline it as much as possible. And some of that taken is, yes, some of that I think does take away from the coach, but also at the same time to be a coach that has the intuition to be able to look at somebody and be able to, to adjust the load accordingly takes time to learn those things. You know, if you look at those, the, like you're talking about the Russian master sport, all these guys, you know, those guys have gone through a sports school and they've been coaching for years after years after years and worked with athletes of all different levels. And they didn't go get a certification last weekend. And then they're coaching powerlifting this weekend, you know? So at the same time, you have, you have to look at the background of what that person has done and, you know, just their intuition to be able to look at something and adjust accordingly taking into account where they're at now, where you want them to be next year and five years from now. Mm. Yeah. And like one of the biggest problems that I think we see in powerlifting is I say this a lot. It's a sport without role models. It's like all of a sudden, once the raw lifting stuff kind of took off in like 2013, 2014, we kind of lost sight of the people who've been around a long period of time that can share that extended perspective. Right. And it's easy to get caught in the bullshit at times. And like, literally I had Shaco as a coach, right? So technique, 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 but I'm being flooded with everybody being like, technique doesn't matter that much. You just got to get them stronger. It's your job to put five more pounds on PRs. And like at the time, I had 70% for four days this week. Why are you doing it again? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like, I had lifters that were doing very well. Like I had a 52 kilo female who was squatting 300 pounds, competing at the Arnold's like, I started to lose sight of those things and it became easy to get caught in the mix of you got to just push them harder. You got to just push them harder. And then what ended up happening is that's what I did. 
And then now, you know, you push people harder than their technique sucks. Yeah. And then no, there's just this point where you reach where it's like, all right, well, sorry guys, I kind of fucked up. We got to take a step back now and kind of work on the things that we should have been working on all along. I hope you still pay me at the end of the day. And like, it's the growing process of a coach for sure. But even for me now, like I got away from doing like a lot of accessory stuff. I'm trying to be in the shirt a little bit more frequently and my fucking elbows are killing me. And it's like, now I'm paying the price for not doing that stuff earlier on because I disregarded it. And like, so one of the things, this is why like I talked to Jeremy a lot. I wanted to have you on the podcast, Jason Beck, like people who just have a lot of perspective that can kind of, I went out to Westside a couple months ago and trained with Louie and his crew for a few days, like just, just for those reasons. So that like, cause as a younger generation of coach in, in the sport of powerlifting, we have a lot of blind spots to those like future games and stuff. Sure, sure. Um, and I've come back to a lot more of the like Shaco stuff. We, we do the max effort stuff, but it, it's, it's different than what Westside does. And we still hit certain volumes that like Shaco recommends and stuff like that. But I've started to come like way back to like where I had started. And it's like, I call this the angsty teenage years, you know, where it's like every kid you're like, yeah, my fucking parents don't know anything. I'm going to, I'm going to go do everything. And then, you know, you get into a bunch of trouble, you come back around you're like, yeah, I guess my parents fucking knew a thing or two and I probably should have listened. And I'm kind of like at that point as a coach. Um, so Caleb, you have a ton of experience in the strength sports competing and coach. Um, so maybe you can just kind of talk about like that process of, going through experiences of being like, oh man, I kind of fucked up and kind of like some of the bigger lessons you've learned over the, uh, I mean, over the 20 odd years of doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Part of that answering that question and just touching real quick on <clears throat> some comments that you just made, um, you know, when you're training your athletes and how you approach coaching, um, you know, it, to keep people in this sport, in any sport, in any training regimen in general, you got to kind of, you got to accomplish your goal and keep them happy at the same time. Right. So yeah, if your goal is taking this year to build a foundation of technique, and that means you're going to have a medium, you know, intensity of 75%. You know, if you've got a 15 year old kid, that's not going to make him excited. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So Sometimes you've got to find how, you know, that might mean that you have some higher intensity days built in so they can see the progress. You know, it's there, but this kid has no idea until he just sees the weight on the bar go up. So it might mean that you're, you've got a little bit of a give and take where you're giving him some rewards for putting the work in where you're both happy and you can keep him moving towards where he needs to be. So just from a coaching perspective, sometimes it means, you got, you know, you're just trying to drop in some cookies in there for these guys to have some fun, throw some weight around, and then you're back to the work that you know needs done. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, I, like, I like that a lot. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, just just from a coaching perspective, yes, you have, you've got things you need to accomplish. Yes, you've got things you need to work on. But at the same time, if you don't reward your athlete for showing up and doing the things you ask him to do day after day after day, eventually it's going to stop showing. Mm. And you've got to keep him, him excited some way, somehow. Uh, that doesn't mean it doesn't always look like a max out, right? But just you've got to reward him in some ways that mm. make him happy and put him satisfied in the work that he's putting in day after day. Um, but, uh, yeah, just kind of backing up, you know, I, I was able to start coaching while I was still competing for a long time. Um, 
you know, and sometimes that's a tough balance of pouring into other people at the same time when you are trying to accomplish something at a high level. Um, you know, competing in anything at a high level involves a level of selfishness um, where it might be sacrificing one thing for another. Um, yeah, and any time you put into one thing takes time away from another and in any, any aspect of your life, uh, whether it be your family, your work, your training. Um, so we've all got the same amount of time. So deciding where we spend that time is going to be a big difference maker. Um, so when you're training and competing um, and have athletes compete, you know, competing at a high level and weightlifting, powerlifting, um, you know, football, baseball, all those different things, all that requires a certain amount of time. And then trying to help to get yourself to a certain level mm. uh, requires even more time. Um, <clears throat> so kind of balancing that can be, um, can be tricky, but, uh, <clears throat> yeah, as I was able to spend more time coaching, less time competing, um, especially these last few years, yeah, it has been really cool to be able to, to really pour into all of our athletes, um, empowering away to think of other sports and uh, just be able to make that transition to, um, spending more time coaching and, uh, and, and shifting some of that time, um, that I was putting into myself into them. Hmm. Now, Caleb, you talked about being coached by Zygmunt. Did you live at the OTC for an extended period? No, Kelly and I would usually go out there two or three times a year for like a week, maybe two weeks. Uh, but we, now we never lived out there. We were <laughs> considerably older than most people that went to the OTC at the time. <laughs> um, so, uh, so going out there and living out there wasn't a reality for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I don't. I think we performed and trained better here than I would have out there, anyways. Um, just being able to take your mind off of training. Yeah, you know, when you're training at a high level, and like I talked about, trying to just focus on your own world um, and just make yourself better every day, and not have to worry about anybody else. Yeah, you know, for us, we were able to walk into the gym put our work in, train, and then leave it. I don't have to think about it until I show up the next day. I'm doing all my recovery work. We're doing the nutrition. We're doing that thing. But that wasn't the only thing that our life revolved around. We were both pushing ourselves to compete at a high level. But being able to balance the rest of our lives with our training, I think, is one thing that kept us in the sport so long. And we weren't just sitting around waiting for the next training session. And um, not that that's a bad thing at all. I mean, you know, when I was younger, if I had had the opportunity to do that when you know when I was a teenager or early 20s, I would have been all over it. Um, mm-hmm. But just a different stage of life and being able to balance all those different things um, and just keep perspective on your training and you know, spending, you know, finish finish your day of working out. You put your work in. You know, you put everything you had, laid it all out that day, and now you're able to go spend time with your family. You're able to go you know, spend time with your other athletes. Those kind of things. Just keep perspective uh, for us personally, um, and uh, I think that was a, lot, a big reason why uh, we were able to compete so long. And Kelly still is competing, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really been a blessing to being able to um, live here at home in Georgia, and also to have been a part of Zygmunt's coaching and Zygmunt's program at the same time. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you needed training partners who were, were better or worse than you, but, but really close because at the OTC, like that's the, so what Kevin talks about when he says a sprint method, I think the OTC is, is kind of similar in that vein. And that when you get a, a room of people together who 
only live and breathe training and they're all around the same numbers. Um, you know, I've spoken to a lot of those people and they say they've seen their best performances there, but man, it really took a toll on them. Um, so I'm wondering how you stayed, you know, kept your finger on the pulse or stayed motivated and, and kept, you know, fighting to climb up the ranks and, and add kilos to your total. If you're kind of training in, in your home gym in Georgia, was there ever that need for some sort of competition or just knowing that there was someone better kind of that, that almost uh, abstract thought of, of just people being better out there that kept you going? Yeah. Um, you know, always just being, you know, kind of intrinsically internally motivated. It has definitely been a blessing. Um, but at the same time, I've always done my best lifts on the platform. Um, the lifts that I've done that I did in weightlifting, I've never once hit those in the gym. Um, actually, I've never even had them on the bar in the gym, not even <laughs> close. Uh, so, yeah, I've always been able to perform better <clears throat> in competition. <clears throat> but at the same time, I've always been blessed to have training partners that for me, it wasn't necessarily they had to be lifting and pushing me on the weights that I had on the bar but their personalities mm. pushed me. They were consistent. They were driven. They showed up, they put the work in, they, they were not distracted. Yeah. You know, that to me was more important than having somebody who, you know, just beat me on a cleaning jerk. So now I need to add two more kilos. Mm. So that, that's for me, what competition was about. That's why I showed up on competition day, but day to day in the gym, uh, both Kelly and I have just been blessed to have each other, but then also other people who have been in and out of our lives and in and out of our training atmosphere who had the same goals and had the same personalities and were able to push us and us push them to new levels just through the desire to be better. I think every training crew has like each person has their place, right? It's not necessarily, you know, there's somebody that may not be pushing you for weight, but it's like exactly what you said, Caleb, they might come in and they might be the one that's like driving that attitude and like pushing you with their attitude. There might be somebody who just has a lot more knowledge and a better technical base. That's finding some little flaws in the stuff that you're doing and giving you some good little feedback on each set technically. And then, you know, you get that meathead who's pushing <laughs> you with in terms of the absolute loads on the bar. And like, to me, you know, it's, it's, it's like the show cheers. Like everybody kind of has their role in that, like that type of setting that can like really push you and like move you into the, into the right direction. You don't need. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, a, a max effort attempt is a max effort attempt. If it's a hundred kilos or 200 kilos, mm. it's still a max effort. And there's still a level of intensity in that where if somebody's bringing it, you better show up and bring it too. you know? Right. Exactly. And, um, it's just something about like everybody having the same goal in mind too, mm -hmm. um, in the same group, but regardless of like skill level, like everybody can be in different places, but like with that said, you know, there's going to be some crews that aren't going to be appropriate for beginners and others that aren't going to be appropriate for advanced lifters and, and so on and so forth. Sure, sure. Um, we're kind of in this, everybody kind of trains alone in their own squat rack now. Um, and to me, that's just like, fucking boring and I, like i don't i want somebody standing across me that i can talk shit to i don't even care if they can squat 200 more pounds than me uh -huh. like, i just want like that fun and that excitement and that like competing with them in the gym and like that type of environment and to me that's what will keep me in the sport is like the people i'm around and the things that we're doing and stuff like that yeah um, yeah and at the same time yeah for yeah this isn't true for everybody but for me personally <clears throat> yeah my goal 
and how I was able to stay consistent over a long period of time and then to pull my best lifts out in competition was to not have to put that level of intensity into every training session, right? <clears throat> so, you know, there's days where you've got to bring the intensity and you've got to bring the adrenaline. you got to know you have to lay it out, but you can't bring that to every single day and expect to last a long time. So my goal was to be able to put the work in, you know, hit high intensities, hit high percentages, have little to no misses, but not have to get myself jacked up for every single attempt, every single day. You know, the more consistent that I got and the stronger that I got, I could walk in, I could hit a high, high level of training, consistent technique, a high intensity and walk out and not have to just get put a whole lot of adrenaline into those lists. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, no, definitely. I think there's a time and a place to hang your nuts out and a time and a place not to. And I think, I think you literally, you hit the nail on the head, right? So like you were talking earlier about like, how you got to do the work and you got to keep working harder and harder and harder. And, and Josh, correct me if I'm wrong here with the Bulgarians, but they didn't use any like stimulants or caffeine or psychological arousal because of like the recovery cost of it. Mm-hmm. So if, like I'm always going in and I'm putting on my like competition suit and huffing ammonia and listening to heavy metal music and having a mosh pit before I go underneath the <laughs> weight, like it's probably going to be much harder for me to actually do that hard work on a consistent basis because I'll just get burnt out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. So like that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Cause like, that was going to be my next question actually is like, you know, if powerlifters found out, you know, if the answer to having a bigger total was just working harder, you know, I think powerlifters would have found that out a long time ago, but I think in terms it's, you got to be smart and make good decisions and stuff like that. So like in order to work harder, you know, you got to pull the plug on some of the other things like the stimulants or the psychological arousal, or you got to, attack your recovery just as hard as you're attacking your training and all of those other aspects. And I think like, I have a lot of lifters that, and like, I respect a lifter like this, that they don't lift a lot of weight, but they will put their head down and they will literally continue to run into that wall, not complain, work hard. And then they'll get like a little fucking jacked up because they're acting like idiots half the time. (laughs) Um, But I I respect, it's easier to slow someone down than speed them up. But I think it's really important for them to hear like all of those other things. Like the goal is to be able to string together as many of those high quality days in a long period of time and whatever is going to allow you to do that. And I, you know, there's probably a hereditary component because like you were saying, Caleb, you never suffered any major injuries in training. Right. So like, that's probably, you know, Jason Beck said the same thing. He's like, I was just Mm -hmm. fortunate enough. There's probably like some hereditary component to being able to not, you know, like doing the fighting stuff. I've broken my leg. I've torn my bicep. My ear was almost ripped off my head. I've broken (laughs) fingers and toes. Like my body's been snapped a few different ways, a few different times. And like the ability to stay healthy over a prolonged period of time is kind of like what allows you to stay in this sport. And those that just have like, genetic gifts sometimes to be able to work harder than others. But like the goal is to be the best lifter you can possibly be like getting as many of those hard quality, good training sessions, you know, and it's kind of like the Shaco method of the, you know, high, medium and low training days, the better the well being of the lifter, they're going to have more high days in there and they're going to be able to do a little bit better, but you know, it's everybody being smart and not trying to copy what the person next to them is doing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and that's hard now, you know, when I was competing in power of thing, been, we didn't have Facebook and Instagram and all this stuff where you could comparing yourself to everybody else's best day ever. 
And that's mm. all you see every time you pull your phone up. You know, so we we lived on, I mean, we still had magazines then. But we were at USA Power Up Magazine and stuff, you know. So just things like that where different resources, a different culture, and then, you know, just different exposure to other people in the sport. I mean, you learn from people by talking to them face-to-face. And in that environment, you know, you learn about the ups and the downs and all that. But now – you, know, you hop on Instagram and it's all ups. You know, you don't learn about these guys and how long they've been competing and the injuries or the you know the adversity that they've had to fight through. Yeah, you know, there's some people that share that stuff, but for the most part, you know, that's that's kept quiet and all you see is the victories. Mm. And you know, and that's so that's what people feel like they need to experience early on to be successful. And you know, for like for you've got a couple freaks out there, but outside of that, that's not true. I mean, it takes years of just building a training density and building consistency and trusting the process to accomplish those things. But you don't see that unless you are actually able to sit down with somebody and they share that stuff with you. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really curious because we've talked about Shaco, Louis Simmons, Zygmunt, Glenn, Glenn Penlay. We've talked about a lot of high level, very successful coaches. And it, Caleb is someone who has come from being a really young kid to being, you know, top top of their class in, in, in the world in, in multiple sports. How does the role of the coach change over that that lifespan of an athlete? Uh, because again, we have a lot of coaches who are in their first like one, three, five years and maybe they approach every athlete the same way. And, and they're, they're thinking they're kind of like the authoritative uh, the parents, right? They give this program and they direct everything. But from someone who's coached, competed and, and seen it all like how does how how does the role of a coach morph along with the athlete as they kind of develop yeah i think where a lot of athletes miss it now um is just trusting their coach mm. so from the athlete side of it there's a seems to be a whole lot more of just jumping from coach to coach or program to program now than they're used to mm-hmm. um whether you know, you hit an injury or maybe you're not making progress as fast as you want to. And this might just be my experience and what I see and how I interpret it, but it seems to be like there's a lot more athletes changing coaches and programs more frequently than there used to be. Mm-hmm. So from an athlete standpoint, if you have somebody that you can trust and they're doing the best thing that you can, and they can, they've proven to you that they can make you stronger. I think that, long term you will be more successful sticking with the same person and adjusting with that person Mm. than you would be jumping from five different coaches over the next seven years Mm -hmm. um so just from an athlete standpoint trusting the process being able to trust the person you're working with and putting consistent work into it may or may not be the best training program ever Mm. but if you do that program that's in front of you consistently, you will get better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're switching programs every six months because you haven't hit a new PR that you felt like you should have already, you're always going to be beating yourself, your head against the wall. And you're never going to be able to make the progress that you would be able to, if you did something consistently for long-term good things happen mm-hmm. when you do consistent work over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. That's um, a, another piece too, right? It is like, what lifters think is a plateau and like mm. I, there's a lot of clickbait on the internet, right? Like blast through your plateau with <laughs> whatever the fuck people are talking about. And it's uh-huh. like, 
you know, any lifter I've ever talked to at a high level has gone years at times without adding a pound to their freaking total or even right. their total going backwards. Um, so maybe if you can kind of discuss that part of it from an athlete's perspective, Caleb, about getting stuck, being consistent and like reaping the rewards that came from that consistency. Sure. Sure. So <clears throat> the, the story I always share, um, is from weightlifting in the in the 2012 Olympic trials, I snatched 123. That was a PR for me. Mm-hmm. Or 2008. I'm sorry. 2008 Olympic trials. I snatched 123. Um, in 2012, I snatched 128. Finally, mm-hmm. so I put four years of workout, work training, consistency every single day to put five kilos on my snatch. So regardless of what you see and don't see happening in that day to day, the work is done. If I had said during that period of time, changed programs five different times, been like, man, this coach is not doing the best thing. I'm not getting stronger. I need to change. Yeah. If I jumped all over the place, took a month off because my body didn't feel good, you know, tried a whole bunch of different supplements, whatever, you know, I would not have been able to break through that barrier, but because I did now, I over that course of four years, what you also have to pay attention to is your base level of strength and consistency in those lifts. So I went from hitting, you know, that in 2008, that was like a four or five kilo PR, right? So I made a big jump then. But what also happened over those four years of me taking four years to only put five kilos on my snatch was now my level of consistency that I went from you know being able to snatch mm-hmm. 112, 114, 115 on a consistent basis. Now I'm able to hit 120, 122, 123 on snatch without having to think about it. I can just walk in, put on a bar, and I can snatch it. Yeah. So your base level has increased as well as your max one rep in competition. Yeah, and I know I've been I was just I was just about to say I know Kevin you use a lot of variations in the the competition lifts and um you know in weightlifting sometimes you don't prioritize the competition movements you're saying hey if we get our push press up that'll get our jerk up or if we get you know our squat up that's going to push the other lifts up and you almost have to remind people that this isn't the time and the place to get a competition PR we don't need it and Caleb you you said you always show up at the meet and hit your best lifts and that's when it matters I mean every other point in the training year it doesn't matter if you're down 20% from that. It really doesn't because what you can't post about it on Instagram. I mean, that doesn't really matter. So I, I find myself reminding athletes. It's like, Hey, the push press is up, bench press is up. Good morning. Like whatever the exercise may be, the squats up, this means you're getting better, right? We don't need one metric that you live or die by. We need a lot of metrics that just say as an athlete, we're improving maybe not as a weightlifter, maybe not in the competition total, maybe not in the national rankings, but we're getting better over time. And, and really that's what drives the long-term development. Absolutely. And, and as a coach, get an athlete to see the big picture, right? So explain it to the athlete and get them to buy in why those, why the push press is going to matter and the difference that's going to make in the long-term training cycle. So looking at their training and competition, and on a yearly calendar, on a you know calendar over two years, if you're at a, an elite level, thinking about an Olympic cycle of four years, you know mm. what does that look like? What matters in the period of those one year, two years, four years? What do you need to be ready for? And then what are your limiting factors going to be mm. in your training at that point in time? So 
build that into your training. Yeah, if you've got you know somebody who competing on a national on a national level, yeah, you know, you've got you know your national championships. If you're weightlifting, maybe an American Open, something like that, where you've got a period of time where you can really dig into your weaknesses and your limiting mm-hmm. factors, and you can work on your push presses. You can work on your variations of the lifts and building up your good morning. If you got a weak back or you know whatever that limiting factor may be, and get them to buy into and see the purpose of not necessarily focusing on a classic lift at this point in time, but why the work that they're doing now is going to improve their classic lift total when it matters throughout the long-term calendar of their of their competing. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, things that you had mentioned too was about like how you can snatch the 123 without even thinking about it. So one of like my favorite sayings from some of the Russian texts was the weights need to mature and ripen before they can grow. And like, yeah there can be a lot of noise, right? So like people always are like hanging their heads and kicking fucking rocks because they go to the gym and things feel fucking heavy or whatever the hell yep. is the problem that day. But you can also have really good days in the gym where all of a sudden the stars align and it's mm. like gravity's turned off for a period of time. <laughs> so there's outliers on both sides of it, but it's what you're hitting consistently, those stable training numbers over and over again. Cause over time we know you have to increase your volume in order to get stronger. But this is how it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've had some of my best days on those days where you walk in the gym and everything feels heavy. Mm-hmm. And oh, you know, yeah. if you're in the mindset of as soon as you walk in the gym and you you know you put 60 kilos on the bar and it feels like 100 kilos, you're like, well, today's gonna suck. It's gonna suck, you know. This, but if you walk in there with the mindset of regardless of what feels what it feels like, I'm gonna get after it. You know, you you're not putting a cap on whatever you're capable mm-hmm. of, capable of that day from an athlete's standpoint, you know. So I've had some of my best training days on days when I walked in and everything felt heavy for whatever reason. And I've had some terrible days when I walk in and it, my warm-ups felt really light. Yeah, if I was at a competition warming up on squat and 315 felt light, I got a little bit worried. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I, I, I wanted 225, 315 to feel a little bit heavy, but then it feels the same as 600. Yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't doesn't change. One one of the things that Shaco had said to me is he goes, sometimes the weights are a training partner and sometimes they're an opponent. Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> and I think that's like a, it's a great mindset to have in training sometimes. It's like one of the things that I try to instill with some of my lifters is, you know, you go in and things feel easy. Well, today the weights are a training partner, but if you go in and things feel hard, now you're competing against the weight. So you got to focus a little bit harder. You got to pay attention to your, the details, do the things that you need to do, make the right decisions, like all of those things. And like, you just, you learn to compete by having those, uh, those types of situations, I think in a training environment. And like, I, I have a, um, I have a lifter. She's a very elite lifter. Her best competition deadlift, I think is like 407 or something like that. And she, started to be able to pull 400 consistently on like, it didn't even matter what the variation was. Like if we're hitting deficits or yeah, sumo was a little bit less, but whatever they were. So she's starting to hit that 400 more consistently and you get in this in your head. Sometimes it's like, well, I bet I can hit 420, 430, mm-hmm. but she goes to the meet and it's only like 410, 415. So she maybe added like five pounds and it's like, Oh, this doesn't make sense. And it's like, all you got to do is just stick with it because mm-hmm. you're, the stable training weights are much higher. Your volumes are going to be much higher. It's only a matter of time before you just like, you're probably going to have a big jump on a deadlift at some point. Yeah. And she's like, on the, on the door of some big, big numbers. 
Yeah, exactly. And like, when I look at something like that, it's like the fact that your, your stable training numbers are so high and they're so close to your competition max. There's a reason why the Russians had and the Bulgarians, they use competition and training maxes. You're usually not getting anywhere near your competition max in training. And the fact that your training max is catching up to the competition max, that just means when, when you're, when you're recovered and healthy and tapered and everything else. And like, you know, it also means that you can put something a little heavier on a second account, a second attempt. And if the stars are aligning, there's something fucking big there. Yeah. You know, like if you walk into a meet and that's a good day, you're going to have a fucking good day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you, when you, when you put it together and make lifts, you knock on the door with a big total. We just had a, a guy this past weekend compete and, uh, you know, was, was, didn't have a great day you know, in weightlifting, made two lifts, one snatch, one clean and jerk. Missed a couple lifts after that technical stuff, but a two lift total was higher than his, you know, four to five attempts made total a year ago. So you've got to take those things into account. You know, like you said, her training number, her training numbers are consistent, close to what her competition max is. You know, if you're making, you know, obviously our goal is to go nine for nine or six for six, whatever the case may be every single time you're on the platform. But the reality is that that doesn't happen every time. But if you're consistently improving your total, even if you have a bad day and you make two lifts, three lifts, and your total is still what it was or higher than what it was before, when you put it together and you make your attempts, you've got a big day on the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it just gets back to what you said, right? To bring it full circle, consistency. Mm-hmm. As long as you're consistent, you're hitting those numbers, you're doing the right things, everything will take care of itself. And like one of the things that I tell all my lifters is don't focus on the external outcomes, focus on the process. That's like. It if you focus on the process, the external outcomes take care of themselves over time. Like do the things you're supposed to do day in and day out and everything will just turn out to be hunky dory at the end of, at the end of the day. All right. So we're coming up on like an hour and 20 minutes here or so. Uh, So Josh, you got any final questions or whatever before we wrap this up? Yeah. The last thing, and and Kevin, it's something we talked about before we went on air, but it's just reminding yourself that you don't deserve weights, right? So if you don't make a lift and then you feel like you're not performing that day and you kind of sandbag the accessory, phone a friend, or you just don't do it because you don't feel like it. It's like you're directly impeding progress. It's like, you don't deserve to get better. You have to put the work in, in the right way with weightlifting. People don't miss lifts because they can't pull the bar high enough. It's because their technique sucks. So you, you have to like work on your technique to improve. I don't know how it is with powerlifting, you know, necessarily, but you, you miss lift for a reason. It's not just because you're a bad weightlifter. So find ways you can improve, put the work in and earn the weight. I mean, you don't deserve it. Yeah. Weight doesn't discriminate. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And you're right, Josh. Like sometimes when you're uh, like, even in powerlifting, like if you miss, so like, obviously we take singles sometimes we use max effort work. And like, if you miss, it's not, that's not an opportunity to be like, uh, this sucks. I'm going to take my ball and go home. It's an opportunity <laughs> to those misses are what teach you. All right. So, you know, was this a mental, physical or technical mistake that I made? And then you have all the stuff to work on the weaknesses afterwards. Mm-hmm. So like on those days, if I miss a max effort lift, I'm going to push a little bit fucking harder on my good mornings. Mm. I'm going to push a little bit harder on my other accessory lifts and I'm going to get a st- still a high quality session. So I'm going to do the work. Plus I'm also going to learn something that day. Mm. So like, this is one of my favorite Conor McGregor quotes, but he goes, I don't lose. I win and I learn. And I think that is so important for a sport that you're going to fail more often than mm. you're going to succeed at. And you're going to bang your head up against a wall a lot more than you're going to run through that wall at the end of the day. And, um, I think that's a good thing to end on. Mm-hmm. So Caleb, um, 
I don't know how often you post on Instagram or any of that <laughs> stuff. I, I get plenty of Caleb Williams stuff just from Jeremy Hartman conversations. So that's where I get all my Caleb <laughs> Williams information. I'm glad he's holding down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he is. Uh, maybe tell people where they can find you on the uh, on the interwebs. Yeah, we've got uh, uh, Williams Weightlifting on Instagram. Um, our gym is Peak Strength and Fitness, Peak Athletics on Facebook. Um, but uh, yeah, that's 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 about it, man. I don't. Uh, we do our work here. I don't get on the social media as often as I probably should. So <laughs> nothing wrong with that. And Josh, if you want to give a shout out to your podcasts, plural, and uh, yeah. Yeah, if you you can uh, you can follow us at Weightlifting House, the podcast on all podcasting platforms, the Philosophical Weightlifting Podcast on all po- podcasting platforms, and at Josh underscore Phil W L P H I L W L on Instagram. And one last question, Caleb: What's tighter, a squat suit or virus pants? <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually worn virus pants. I'm going with a squat suit. <laughs> right, awesome. you can uh find me on instagram it's kw can and our team precision power lifting systems stay strong boston <laughs>